Hi, everyone. It is Allison McGee, your host, coming to you today from the couch where our new pup, Paco, is curled up next to me. Paco, or Taco, or Pancho, or Paquito, or the California Kid, all of which are his nicknames, has been with us for 10 days now. When he arrived, he was trembling and silent. Like, completely silent, which weirded me out because I'm not used to that in a dog at all. (laughs) Then, magically, three days into his new life, he looked at me in the kitchen and barked a single sharp bark. Five days in, Paco's barking at the mail carrier and all tall men passing the house in black masks. I do not know what's up with the tall men and black mask combo, but maybe he knows something I don't. Anyway, I am not going to say that Paco barks too much. He doesn't. His form of barking is known as appropriate barking. But here is a magical tip for all you dog people out there. If Paco is going a little too nuts with the guard dog thing, all I do is shake a little jar filled with pennies, and he stops immediately. This jar filled with pennies thing works for excessive barking, and it also works for excessive jumping. Maybe it'll work for you too. Today's episode focuses on a question I sent out a couple of months ago, to wit. Friends, help me out and tell me about a thing in your home that you love, that has special meaning, maybe only to you. For me, a few would be my thick-rimmed red enamel mug that I stole from my daughter, but she doesn't know that. (laughs) The tiny radiometer, I think that's how you say it radiometer that my dad gave me a long time ago that used to be his as a child that sits in a window. And the L.L. Bean slippers my sister Holly gave me 10 years ago that I still wear every day. Like right now, I'm wearing those slippers. Tell me some of yours, will you? Responses poured in. And just listening to this list makes me happy. The way this small little dog, Paco, makes me happy. A tiny blue frame with the first picture I ever saw of my dearest daughter. My grandmother's wooden button box. She was born in 1904 and the collection stretches back decades. When I need to replace a button, I rummage through her clothing memories to find one that fits. My mother-in-law is a collector. She gave my husband a 1920s art deco chandelier before we met. He hauled it around in a box for years. Then we bought our 1927-era house, and the light fixture in the dining room was pretty 80s. Oh, Dan exclaimed. I have the perfect thing. It is perfect. It's like my mother-in-law knew our house would need it, before she even knew me or the house we would buy. She did the same thing with with what ended up being my engagement ring. A 1920s ring missing its center stone sat in her jewelry box for 15 years before I showed up. I have a poultry needle that belonged to my great-great-grandmother. It was emphatically pointed out to me by my grandmother when I was a child, 
as not just any needle, but an heirloom, used to trust birds for at least a hundred years. She kept it hung on the kitchen window lock over her sink on a piece of heavy thread, and that's how I store it too. A big old stickly rocking chair with big wide armrests found in a thrift shop used for all my babies and now a favorite reading chair. Binky, a very small, worn, stuffed baby doll. The face is sketched in by my mother because the original was worn off. He resides on a shelf in the secretary desk. I love the old small cable table that my daddy fixed for me. He added a wooden top to cover the bolts on one side, and I painted it Carolina blue. Later, I repainted it brown, then white, and it has become a meditation table. My Graham's Old Mahogany Buffet. This year I thought, what the fuck, and painted it glossy bright blue with gold knobs. She's somewhere, hands on hips, shaking her head and laughing. I have an old metal perpetual calendar I bought at a flea market-style booth at my hometown fair in the very early 80s. It came with me to university and has sat on every home or office desk I've worked at since. Its top is dented in two places after I used it as a hammer to tack up some Duran Duran posters in my bedroom. I don't seem to be attached to my stuff. I've moved too far too often to take it with me, but I can't live without a ticky clock. The kind with bells on top. And my seven-foot giraffe is not optional. Unless I move to a tent, it's coming with me. I have a small cut glass bowl, a wedding gift of my grandparents from 1918, that was used to serve my grandmother's tomato preserve every Christmas Eve while my father and siblings were growing up, and then later by my aunts Marion and Grace, who carried on that tradition until just recently. Aunt Marion gifted the bowl to me a few years ago. I have just learned to make tomato preserve and have served it in its intended bowl, carrying on the tradition that began a century ago. The couch and recliner that belonged to my parents. My mother gave them to me a few years before she died. The couch in particular means a lot, since my dad sat in one corner of it when he was sick with cancer for about the last year or so. When I sit there, I feel a bit like he's there too. I am very attached to an Art Deco salt and pepper set my ex-mother-in-law gave to me many, many years ago. For as long as I can remember, my mother had a covered sterling silver dish on her bureau that housed safety pins. It was part of a desk set that she inherited from her mother. It's an ornate piece and not something that I would normally love, but years ago my mother gave it to me, and it has been on my bureau full of safety pins ever since. I often think that if the house was burning and I could save only one small thing, this silver dish would be at the top of the list. A white and green Christmas star, which has seen better days, but was on my dad's tree when he was a child. A pink candy dish that looks like an interwoven glass basket with a rose on the lid. My mother always had it in her living room and it frequently was filled with chocolate-covered raisins. My grandfather's baby pillow. He slept with it everywhere, during all trips to the cabin, hospital visits, and at my mother's house, where he lived the last few months of his 97 years. I have a miniature Aphrodite statue from Greece my friend Bill gave me my first year in Korea. It gave me a sense of community. 
I've also got a palette covered in pictures, drawings, and notes from my students and friends. A bluebird in a nest Christmas ornament that my Aunt Mark gave me when I was about 10. It's looking pretty ratty, but it still goes on the tree every year. <clears throat> An I love mom frame with a picture of me reading to my children, Matea and Lucas, when they were about four and three. The toddler size armchair that my grandfather made for my mother. They loved each other so much and he died so very young. A cow-shaped creamer that I got in Scotland when I was 12. I loved and love that cream comes out of her mouth. My family's silver menorah that my parents passed on to me and a silver vase and kiddish cup crafted by my great-grandfather that was in my mom's family. A plaque from the first of many spelling bees I won throughout grammar school. Not to boast, but I love words and spelling and punctuation and grammar. The stretchy red hairband that I have had since I was seven years old. Somehow that hairband has gone to college in Massachusetts, Japan, and San Francisco with me over the decades. Still handy for getting hair out of the way for face washing. If I lost it, I don't know what I would do. Odd to be with me all this time and not meaningful other than it has endured and not been lost all these years. On my dresser in my bedroom, I have a silver hand mirror, hairbrush, and comb with my maternal grandmother's initials, and every time I gaze upon them, I have a brief flash of her and her memory. We weren't close, but I still love the memory of her, and the idea that at one time, maybe when she was married back in the 20s, owning a silver hand mirror and matching brush and comb was something special to have. My grandmother's fruit bowl. It is just a plain glass bowl with ruffled edge, but I have it on my kitchen counter just like she did. A display box that was made by my late father. He kept his own display of treasures in it. Now it holds mine. In 1977, I left behind security and the expectations of others to start on my journey. In my reading, I found a calming, inspirational quote from Walt Whitman, typed it out, read it daily for about a year. Then it became a ritual for taking stock days when I checked in to see if I was still on my path. Twenty years later, a coworker, not knowing of this connection, gave me a tiny book of the exact quote that had been such a source of strength for me, still gives me chills. The ceramic Santa and Mrs. Claus that were made by my mom in the one and only arty thing she ever did. Also, the mounted crappy caught by my dad on North Long Lake. I miss them both at the holidays. The bride and groom cake topper from my wedding 30 plus years ago. The dollar horse that sat on the bookcase at my grandparents' North Dakota farmhouse throughout my childhood. It has always fascinated me. In fact, one of its feet has bite marks from my one-year-old teeth, or so the story goes. As grandmother got older, she started passing on some of her treasures, and now this dollar horse lives on in the mantle of my living room. My grandmother died in November at 99 years old. It comforts me to have this as a reminder of her love and care displayed where I can see it as I go about my daily life. 
One of many, many things my mom gave me was an angel candle holder. And so besides the fact that I love the angel, she's a cherished memory of my mom. About six years ago, my grandma was cleaning out her basement and wanted us grandkids to take what we wanted. I found these great photos of the dining hall from where my grandpa was in the military stationed in Yuma, Arizona during World War II. None of the men in the photos is him, and he had passed away years prior, so I don't know if he knew the men in the photos or not, but I love the photos anyways. I remember he used to have KP duty and used to talk about how many potatoes he had peeled. So these dining hall photos remind me of him. A stuffed heffalunk, which entered the world at the hands of my Aunt Mary Alice during the time my mother was carrying me and was magically finished and gifted to me when I was born. It joined me in my dreams for the first five years of my now 80-year life and then quietly but patiently followed me through the rest of my protracted juvenile existence as an observer from bookshelves and other physical appurtenances surrounding my chosen world. Somehow it has survived intact and remained my only surviving alter ego in this world. My grandmom's chair. When she passed in 2006, I drove cross country and back to bring it home with me. I've spent many happy hours snuggled up in it with books, cat, and eventually child, remembering her kind, gentle, quiet spirit. A few years back when I got my Jeopardy winnings, yes, I was a Jeopardy winner. I was able to use some of that money to fix up the chair, which after seven moves and the cat had become shabbier than grandma would have liked it. It's my favorite place in the world. A little paper model of Notre Dame. I love France, which I bought after the fire destroyed the cathedral. I put the model together in about a half hour from punched out folded pieces of paper and it sits on my desk and I love it. My son Evan received a teddy bear from the team at Cincinnati Children's Hospital when he had open heart surgery at three and a half months of age. It is one of the treasures in our home. My uncle Gail came back from the Pacific Theater with shell shock. He barely spoke to anyone after that. He sat in the sunroom on the third floor listening to operas on his Edison phonograph. In his 90s, I started delivering food to him and helping him clean out his closets. He gave me a white dress shirt, still in the plastic and in the red box, the receipt from the downtown Dayton's resting on top. It was such a luxury to find a white dress shirt after the war. He never could bring himself to open it. It sits in my closet now. It's not the items I love. It's the people that make up the home. is so much about this list that I love. I think it's mostly the specificity of these little objects that hold so much meaning for their keepers. That sense of family that runs throughout, of love, of remembrance, of gifts given and gifts received, of the shadow people embodied in these belongings. Thank you everyone for sharing your keepsakes with me, along with the beautiful description of how you came to them and what they mean to you. The poem that immediately comes to my mind as befits this episode is Daily Things by Naomi Shihab Nye, one of my favorite poems by one of my favorite poets. Here you go. 
Daily by Naomi Shihab Nye These shriveled seeds we plant, corn kernel, dried bean, poke into loosened soil, cover over with measured fingertips. These t-shirts we fold into perfect white squares. These tortillas we slice and fry to crisp strips. This rich egg scrambled in a gray clay bowl. This bed whose covers I straighten, smoothing edges till blue quilt fits brown blanket and nothing hangs out. This envelope I address so the name balances like a cloud in the center of the sky. This page I type and retype. This table I dust till the scarred wood shines. This bundle of clothes I wash and hang and wash again, like flags we share, a country so close, no one needs to name it. Well, that is it for today's episode. My friends, thank you for listening. If you liked it, please spread the word by sending this link to someone else who might and give us a good rating if you are so inclined. (laughs) Original theme music for our show is by Dylan Parisi. Additional music by Kelly Krebs. Naomi Shihab Nye's beautiful poem, Daily, is read with her kind permission. I encourage you all to look up her work as she is one of my and our country's most beloved poets. Words by Winter is created and hosted by me, writer Allison McGee. Tell me what you're going through, and I will go in search of a poem to help you and all of us through, the way that poems have been helping me since I was a little girl. Send me a voice memo via email to wordsbywinterpodcast at gmail.com, or drop me a line at the same address, which again is wordsbywinterpodcast at gmail.com. For more info, go to alisonmcgee.com, Words by Winter, conversations, reflections, and poems about the passages of life, because it's rough out there, and we have to help each other through. Mm -hmm.